This is the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Hi fellow listeners, welcome back to another episode from the Asian Madness Podcast. Again, hope everyone's sleeping enough, eating well, drinking lots of water. It's summer in many parts of the world, so don't get dehydrated. So I remember a while back, I was apologizing to everyone because I had been on this men-killing-women spree of episodes. Somebody didn't really like that. Sure. It's not great, and yes, it's very upsetting, but those are simply facts, and a very common occurrence when it comes to crime. So I guess to compensate for that, I have decided to do a few episodes on women either being the perpetrator, or women surviving their attacks. Just to show that some women do make it out of these horrid situations alive, albeit scarred for life, and also that sometimes... Women are just as capable of committing terrible acts. I don't know how many episodes I'll do on these yet, but probably around four or five. You will know when I'm done with this topic. So today's case is obviously terrifying, and it's something that could pretty much happen to anyone who's in some type of romantic relationship. That's right, jealousy. Most people don't like to feel jealous but there are some out there who find it fun. Like, it's nice to feel a little bit of jealousy from time to time because it keeps things interesting or something. Not shaming. We all have our preferences. But what happens when two people on the opposite ends of the jealousy spectrums meet and get together? In healthy relationships, people will try to communicate and bridge whatever gap there is and get to the root of the issue. If successful, life goes on. If not, well, life goes on as well, but maybe separately. In some cases, though, people lash out because of poor communication and an inability to compromise or let go. This would be the case for this young couple that seemed to be pretty similar on the surface, but not so much behind closed doors. Her name is Takaoka Yuka. His name is... Well, I don't really know his real name, but he goes by Phoenix Luna. You'll understand why later. Let's begin. There's not too much background information on our two main players in this case, but here's what I have on them. Takaoka Yuka was born on January 28, 1998. So, yes, super young. It was said that she was an only child to a Chinese mother and a Japanese father, and she herself was born in China, but moved to Japan when she was only two years old. After graduating high school, she did make an attempt to continue her education in Tokyo University, but after a while, she found that it was not for her, which is fine. Not everyone is made for the academic life. 
she ended up dropping out in 2017. At this point, she's still very young, only 19. And I hate to mention this and risk sounding creepy and cliche, but I promise it is relevant info. Yuka is considered very physically attractive, at least in Japanese standards. You know, the conventionally attractive East Asian girl. Petite, fair-skinned, thin, big eyes, the cute girl. Almost like one of those real-life anime girls. Okay, I'm going to stop here because I sound a little bit creepy. Well, with looks like that, she found herself working in a hostess club, which she genuinely enjoyed. As a quick refresher, hostess or host clubs are common in certain districts in Japan. If you're into women, you would go to these hostess clubs and a bunch of pretty girls will sit, chat, and drink with you. Maybe it's the equivalent of a strip club in the U.S., minus all the nudity and stripper poles. You actually get to interact and converse with the girls. They make you feel heard, seen, and liked. I guess people in general like to feel seen, so I don't find it weird that some people would go to these clubs. I have nothing against hostess or host clubs, or those that want to work there. Similarly to porn or sex work, I guess. If you're doing it because you want to, go for it. These places, though, can be a bit of a slippery slope as they are not cheap. You can easily spend hundreds or even thousands on a single night. And it's even worse if that becomes an addiction. Anyway, Yuka was supposedly not just a regular hostess, but a club manager. I don't know how she became a manager at the age of 20, but she could have had very good people skills or she could have also had prior experience in some form. Moving on to our next main player is a guy who refers to himself as Phoenix Luna. Obviously not his real name, and I hate to say that I don't know his real name, but I can respect that because it seems like he is not keen on being linked with his past life, as in pre-Phoenix Luna. I will refer to him as Luna from now on. Luna had a tough upbringing. He was originally from Tochigi Prefecture, located a bit north of Tokyo. As a child, his family life was pretty volatile, and he ended up in an institution when he was only still in elementary school. Basically, his parents dipped out of their family responsibilities, which included not just Luna, but his seven brothers and sisters. I know, that's a lot of kids. He did not stay in touch with anyone in his family after his parents left, most likely because they were all sent to different places to live. Luna continued going to school, though, and as soon as he graduated middle school, he went on to find a job. Japan's schooling system requires six years of elementary school and three years of junior high. The U.S. mandatory schooling system is kind of different, where you have five years of elementary three years of middle or junior high, and four years of high school. So around the age of 15, Luna found a job working in construction, which makes sense. In a more traditional society where going to good schools, getting good grades, and finding a long-term stable job is desired, he had very limited choices. He stuck around for a bit, but decided this ultimately wasn't what he wanted in life. He was quite broke and ended up homeless for a bit. At around the age of 20, the world was technically still his oyster. He could go back to school. He could try a new industry. He was young. 
The problem was that he didn't have any money. Another thing Luna had going for him was that he was good looking. I know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but at least in the eyes of the young Japanese crowd, he was considered good looking. So what type of job can a young good looking person in Tokyo do? Yep, he found work at a host bar, entertaining and flirting with women every day. So far, we have a young woman working as a bar manager in a hostess bar and a young man working as a host in a host bar. It's easy to see how these two would end up meeting since they work in the same industry. Yuka first met Luna sometime in October of 2018 at the club he worked at, Fusion by Youth. And at least for her, it was love at first sight. Yuka worked hard, and she enjoyed going out and spending her hard earned money. And sometimes these activities include seeking male companionship at host clubs. There's nothing wrong with that, but some people might find it odd as she was young and pretty. Surely someone like her wouldn't need to go to a host club to get attention from men. I've heard that some people enjoy going to these places because it just gets the job done where you don't have to play games and get straight into the drinking, flirting, conversations, etc. And it's relatively safe because it's in a regulated environment or something like that. Upon meeting Luna, Yuka was completely smitten by him. I can't say for sure if he felt the same way or if he was just doing his job, but whatever he was doing, it was working. Yuka felt like she was in love, and we know how reckless young people can get when it comes to love. The love they feel can be so intense and dramatic, and if anything were to go wrong, it would feel like the end of the world. Is it really love, though? Or is it just the idea of being in love? Who am I to tell you what love is anyway? So, as a young woman hopelessly devoted to this new man, she wanted to make sure whatever baby wanted, baby got. And what did baby want? Well, as a host, He wanted to rise in his club ranking. He wanted his name and photo up on the wall. He wanted to be the top host of his club. It's admirable to be so ambitious, but maybe it's also a super competitive environment where if you slack, you're sacked. Yuka worked in the same industry and she knew just how it worked. She wanted Luna to succeed, so she began to spend more and more money going to his club, requesting him. Spending a ton on her visits. This kind of spending is probably okay if you're like super rich. But to someone like Yuka, this was really not a sustainable way to spend money. Before long, she was spending upwards of 1 million Japanese yen a month visiting his club. That's about 7,000 US dollars. I mean, yeah, she's single and she's an independent woman. But this can't really be a good way to spend your money in the long run, right? And how long can she actually keep this up? Realistically, not very long, but Yuka was obsessed with her crush, love, whatever you want to call him. Some say boyfriend as well, but some consider this relationship one sided. We will discuss this later. So Yuka began to run into money issues because everything she made, she spent on Luna. So, as a resourceful young woman, she took up some side jobs, which included gigs like the girlfriend experience, where you basically rent yourself for a day and hang out with others and act as their girlfriend. 
She also did some sex work, sleeping and traveling with rich old men for money. Again, her body, her choice. I think everyone has their reasons for going down this path. But in her case, she's basically doing all this so she can spend money on Luna, help his ranking at the bar. I feel some type of way about it, maybe because it feels like she's being taken advantage of. It's a little different if she did sex work to pay for her own bills and to raise her kids. That's more like survival. This feels different to me. What are your thoughts? Luna seemed to be aware of everything Yuka was doing for his sake. He never told her to stop, but instead thanked her and apologized to her for having to do this for him. I get it. They're both around 20, 21. They're technically adults, independent, and as someone with a tough childhood, Luna probably felt a stronger need to survive, to not be broke, to not end up homeless again, even if that meant turning a blind eye to what Yuko was doing. Yuko, wanting some privacy and space to hang out with her Luna after work hours, rented a very fancy and expensive apartment unit in Tokyo, near the red light district. Some initial sources said that the two had moved in together, but in reality, this was more of a Yuka apartment where Luna would make occasional house visits as he had to live in his host dormitory. The two kept this up for about half a year, with Yuka spending all her money at this club and Luna benefiting from that. In a sense, they both got what they wanted. She got on his good side, got his attention, and with her money, he got to stand out from his peers. So what's the issue? Well, the two had very different ideas as to what their relationship was all about. You know how when you first start seeing someone, you eventually need to have the what-are-we conversation. For Yuka and Luna, this was a little tricky. Like I mentioned, he is a host. His job is all about charming, flirting, complimenting other women, making them feel special. It also shouldn't be surprising that Yuka was hardly his only customer. As a hostess bar manager, Yuka also understood that Luna's job required him to entertain multiple female customers, but that doesn't mean she liked it. It's unlikely that the two ever had a frank conversation about their relationship, and maybe he knew that, to her, he was more than just a host, but he didn't want to burst that bubble because he also relied on her spending money on him. If he kept doing what he was doing, even if it meant misleading Yuka, it was fine because she seemed happy. Maybe Yuka was also subconsciously worried about bringing this up because it might confirm that she was, in fact, nothing more than an ATM to him. I wasn't there, I obviously am not 100% sure if this was the situation, but this was an entirely possible scenario. Another version, though, less popular, was that the two were in fact dating. As the two continued on this weird relationship, Yuka became more and more agitated, knowing that Luna was flirting with other women, going to love hotels with them, though he denied ever sleeping with his clients. Worst of all, he would allegedly call her up when his sales were slipping or if she hadn't come in in a while. When she didn't have enough money to see him, he would allegedly ignore her. That's pretty harsh, and I can absolutely understand how this would make Yuka feel, like she was nothing but a means to an end. If she were broke, 
she would probably be completely discarded by this man. Despite her fears and worries, she continued to see him as often as possible, because feelings are complicated and irrational. The Asian Madness podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. As we know, life is hard. There's always so much happening around us and to us, and it can get difficult to handle all your stress and emotions. We have relationship issues such as intense jealousy, work and money problems, stress, everything. I, for one, am all for therapy, and even though life is technically going fine, I have weird feelings and it helps to have someone navigate those with me, provide me with coping skills. If this sounds familiar to you, well, you might benefit from therapy. BetterHelp is a professional counseling platform where they can match you with a licensed professional therapist in just under 48 hours. It's perfect for us living in the modern world, as it is entirely online and very convenient. Not to mention, it's offered worldwide. You also have the choice of communicating with therapists via messages, phone, or video sessions. No need to commute, see someone face-to-face, and feel awkward. All you need is an internet connection, go to their website, fill out a brief questionnaire, and get matched with a licensed therapist. If you feel like you're not vibing with the therapist provided, you can easily switch to someone more compatible at no additional cost. I have used BetterHelp several times throughout my life, and it's definitely helped me through times where I felt pretty hopeless. Therapy isn't just for when you're feeling down, though, and you just might be surprised at what you discover about yourself. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com AM today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp dot com slash am all this build-up leads us to the very early morning hours of may 23rd 2019 in the apartment unit rented by yuka as sources say luna had decided to pay yuka a visit that night maybe also to spend the night it was getting late around 3 a.m and Luna decided it was time to take a shower and head to bed. As he was in the bathroom, he left his phone in the bedroom. Yuka couldn't stand all her intrusive thoughts, so she decided she had to take a peek, and what she found was the proverbial last straw that broke the camel's back. What she found wasn't exactly anything explicit or damning, supposedly just photos of him at the club serving and having fun with female customers. To Yuka, though, It was the ultimate betrayal. She decided that she couldn't live like this anymore, spending all this money on a man who didn't see her the way she saw him. At this point, most of us would be like, Girl, just leave him. You can find someone for you, someone to treat you better. That's the voice of reason. But Yuka decided to take the extreme way. She pretended nothing was wrong, waited for Luna to go to bed, and after making sure he was asleep... She got to work. She went into her kitchen, grabbed the sharp knife she had purchased from the shop Don Quixote earlier, got on top of a sleeping Luna, 
and stabbed him as hard as she could in his abdomen area. After making sure she stuffed the knife as deep inside him as possible, she told him she loved him because, to her, this was her ultimate act of love, as she had plans to kill herself after killing Luna. Luna was obviously jolted awake from his slumber, and I bet that shit hurt like hell. After realizing what the pain was and what was going on, he struggled against her and jumped out of bed, running out the apartment towards the elevator where he eventually fell unconscious. What would you expect Yuka to do next? I know I would expect her to maybe drag him back in, kill him, and then maybe kill herself. But I guess things were spiraling out of control and she had no idea what she was doing. Instead, she took the unconscious Luna down to the apartment lobby, where concierge and other residents immediately called the police. They had a half-naked, bleeding, unconscious man lying there and a very calm-looking woman by his side. What is happening? After dragging Luna to a spot in the lobby, she sat down next to his body and lit a cigarette. If she didn't already have those in her pocket, I'd be very concerned that she remembered to grab these on her way out. She picked up her mobile phone and made a call. Some say she did not call the police, but instead called her friend, telling said friend what happened. She wanted to watch Luna bleed out, die, and then end her life. The police arrived not long after, and of course, she was immediately arrested, and Luna was taken to a hospital. I know, what a shit show. These crimes of passion can be insane, and as we know, love can make us do crazy things. Luna, after being rushed to the hospital, made it out alive after a five-day coma. The knife wound was deep and severe, but ultimately, doctors were able to help him. It was said that the knife penetrated his liver, so because of that, he was no longer able to drink at all, which I guess is not ideal since his job and alcohol kind of go hand in hand. As for Yuka, she was held in custody until her trial date, December 3rd, 2019. A 21-year-old Yuka appeared in court, dressed in a black suit. She appeared very meek, kept her head down the entire time, Never once did she attempt to look at the man she stabbed. Luna had taken the stand and testified against his attacker, and interestingly, he seemed to be in good spirits and even managed to smile at her, but she, of course, never once looked up at him. Maybe it's post-stabbing clarity or perhaps shame. According to Luna's retelling of the fateful night, Yuka had texted him on May 22nd, asking him to drop by her apartment that night to help her with some household tasks. He didn't think much of it, so he went. They got to work, setting up her new curtains. Everything was normal, no arguments, nothing. And after he showered, he went to bed in just his underwear. He woke up suddenly when he felt a sharp pain coursing through his body, and he saw that Yuka was straddling him on the bed. He stated that she started interrogating him, asking him if he liked her, and he said yes. He also pleaded for her to call an ambulance, that he wouldn't report her to the police. Yuka simply said, let's die together. Despite his pain, Luna had responded with, I don't want to die yet. After realizing that she was going to let him die on the bed, he conjured up all his willpower and managed to get to the elevator. And the rest 
we already know. Apparently, this wasn't the first instance where Yuka mentioned him dying, as earlier that month, she had asked if he would go up to the rooftop of her building and jump down. That's honestly a bit much, but it does show that Yuka was definitely escalating. What was surprising was that it was later on revealed that Luna had written and submitted a petition to the court and to the judge asking them to be lenient on Yuka, hoping that she wouldn't be sentenced too harshly for the uh, attempted murder. Weird, right? Some were like, oh, he's probably got a soft spot for her, or he's probably willing to let bygones be bygones. But if someone like that tried to kill me, someone who was clearly obsessive, I probably wouldn't want it to be that lenient. Like, no, don't put them to death, but maybe help them out, give them some kind of mental health treatments, keep them away from me for as long as possible? Or am I being too harsh? Luna explained that Yuka had sent him a letter of apology while in custody, and while he couldn't really process her words at the time, he did come to realize that maybe she wasn't terrible and that she was, in fact, remorseful. We are not the victims, so technically we don't have a say in what he should do. But I know we do have opinions, which is fine. But before you jump on board the Luna is a forgiving dude ship, here's something else to ponder. Yuka and her family had reached out to Luna with apologies and some form of apology-slash-settlement money. Their offer included, but was not limited, to the following. Yuka will no longer contact Luna. Yuka will no longer set foot in the red-light district of Kabukicho. And that Yuka and her family will offer an amount of 5 million yen to cover his medical bills, and whatever he deemed necessary. That's approximately 35,000 US dollars. I mean, it's something. It wasn't explicitly stated, but some people do believe that Yuka's family basically asked him to petition for a lenient sentence in exchange for that sum of money. Is that a lot of money? I guess it depends. Better than nothing. So this is not the end of this episode because it's honestly a mess. Some say that Luna was a terrible person, a womanizer, using Yuka for his own gain ignoring her when she wasn't useful, and turning a blind eye to her sex work, even though he knew it brought her a lot of pain and anguish. On the other hand, some criticize Yuka for being so naive, for being quote-unquote crazy, and that she, of course, got off too easy. What are your thoughts? Both Luna and Yuka gave their accounts on what their relationship was like, and according to the both of them, they weren't a couple in the traditional sense, mainly because Luna was a host, and it would interfere with his work. The two had supposedly come to an agreement, saying that Luna would eventually quit his host gig in September of 2019, and once he did that, the two could become a real couple and finally move in together. The two were basically doing things that a normal couple would do anyway, which included going on dates that Yuka paid for, sleeping together, and spending the nights together at Yuka's apartment. Yuka stated that she had to power through her sex work with older men because she loved Luna too much, and because he told her he would eventually quit his job to be with her, she held on to that hope, for their future together. Once she had her money, she would visit Luna's club and spend anywhere between 50,000 yen to 600,000 yen. 
which is 350 US dollars to 4,000 US dollars. Her last time visiting Luna had been May 20th, only a couple days before his attempted murder. And this time, she dropped some serious cash, around 17,000 US dollars. When asked why she spent so much on her visits, her answers were always the same. Because I loved him. Yuka explained that she knew Luna had to entertain various women, and although she understood, it was killing her from the inside, which eventually gave her the idea to kill him and then herself. This is basically Romeo and Juliet, I guess, where things in life are keeping you apart, but in death, you are together forever. When asked why she stabbed him once and let him leave the apartment, Yuka said that she saw that he was in pain and that hurt her as well. She decided to let things be, and if he died, she would kill herself. She could not bring herself to stab him again. So that's the general gist of the twisted relationship between Yuka and Luna. With all that under consideration, the prosecution shockingly asked the judge to sentence her to five years in prison. I know, that's basically nothing for attempted murder. But the judge, although disgusted at Yuka and her actions, sentenced her to three and a half years in prison. Yeah, I know. The judge even stated that she had, quote, a strong intent to kill, unquote. What's the deal? Did Luna's petition for leniency really work that well? Because that's very lenient. After the sentencing, Luna once again stated that he did not harbor any resentment towards Yuka, only hoping that she could lead a normal life in the future. Away from him, of course. As for Luna, well, he went back to work at his host club, became a sort of internet celebrity as the guy who survived the stabbing, but he could no longer drink alcohol due to his liver injury. This was the time he adopted his new club name, Phoenix Luna, which I'm sure you know, Phoenix is the bird that represents rebirth, or not dying, I guess. The kanji, for his name, as in the Japanese characters, literally means not dead bird. One good thing that came out of his situation was that Luna's long-lost siblings made contact with him for the first time in five years. Like I said, it's likely they lost touch with each other after their parents left. So seeing their brother on the news was probably surprising. One last thing before I end this episode. I mentioned that Yuka was considered very attractive. Generally speaking, that's not something I like to mention because it doesn't necessarily add to the story. But in this case, it kind of does. When the news hit the media, people were shocked to see such a pretty girl accused of attempted murder. Some said she was too pretty to be a killer. And honestly, that makes no sense. People online began referring to Yuka as a real-life yandere, which is an anime-slash-manga term. It's a mix of two separate words, yanderu, meaning mentally or emotionally unwell, and deru-deru, which is used to describe strong romantic feelings. So you mash the two words together, and here is what Wikipedia has to say. Quote, a term for a person who is initially loving and caring to someone they like a lot until their romantic love, admiration, and devotion becomes feisty and mentally destructive in nature through either overprotectiveness, violence, brutality, or all three combined. Unquote. 
According to an article on CBR.com, the Yandere motto is, If I can't have them, no one can. If you think anime and manga is just for kids or kid-friendly, well, think again. This is some deep shit. This comparison itself isn't exactly troubling, but the amount of fans that began to worship Yuka was a bit concerning. The amount of fan art you can find on the internet is insane, especially because it's drawn in manga style of her at the crime scene. So there you have it, a crime of passion that thankfully did not take any lives, but unlike other cases covered, was committed by a young woman. Do you think she got off easy? How do you feel about the relationship in general? While a part of me does feel for her, mostly her insecurity with Luna and her jealousy issues, she really should have just walked away from all this. I know, easier said than done. Most of us probably have been in situations where we should have just left but didn't for whatever reason. When it comes to love and feelings of that sort, Reason hardly ever plays a role. Maybe they would have had a future together if she didn't try to kill him. Or maybe he was just using her for money, leading her on, lying about quitting eventually. Either way, I'm glad everyone made it out alive in this case, and hopefully they'll both make better choices and be more mindful in the future. If you are in an unhappy relationship, take a moment and reflect. What do you want for yourself and for your future? Please be safe and also be kind to others. That's the least we can do for each other. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com.